The 2023 AHA Technician Utilization Guidelines are out, and this week we want to talk about how you can apply some of the learnings and what it means for veterinary technicians and the veterinary profession moving forward. This week on The Veterinary Viewfinder. to the Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine. And this week, once again, we are talking about the utilization or perhaps underutilization of our registered credentialed licensed veterinary technicians. And we're going to talk about that mouthful in just a second. But before we do all of that mouthful talking stuff, as always, I'm one of your co-hosts, Dr. Ernie Ward. And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. And viewfinders, if Becky sounds a little different today, that's because she is somewhere special. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but Becky, where are you? Well, I am celebrating National Vet Tech Week down here in Austin, Texas with the crew at Hive. Wow. How is it down there? It's pretty cool. You know, this is a first um, for the the group at NEBC uh, for this event. So it's the first Hive event. I think they're doing a wonderful job. There's a, a pretty great turnout, a lot of amazing content. And, you know, um, overall, it's just really interesting to see the, uh, the, the turnout and the technicians getting all together. It's like, it's one of my favorite things. Right. And, and what's the mood like? Like are, are veterinary technicians recognizing this sort of seismic shift in focus on continuing ed for vet tech specifically? I don't think that is a question I have asked, but what I know is I I think they see it when it's focused toward them and they're attracted to it when it's focused toward them. And um, Hive, I know Paige Allen, when she was uh, a guest on our show, was talking about they only have one veterinarian speaker here. And then they have a couple, um, like they have a, an Austin police officer who's talking about de-escalation and some things like that. But everybody else is credentialed staff. And so if it is not on the forefront of their mind, it is definitely uh, sprinkled throughout for their subconscious. Yeah. And viewfinders, you know, we wholly support this. I'm so proud of Becky for being an instrumental part of this first Hive veterinary technician focused exclusive conference put on by the North American veterinary community. So again, well done. Well, one of the things that is probably being talked about are these recently dropped 2023 AHA technician utilization guidelines. Becky, I'm guessing that's uh, stirring up quite a quite a few conversations. You know, it, it, what's really cool is the conversations that I've seen behind it are really positive and technicians are talking about it and sharing it all over social media right now, which is obviously why we wanted to get into this conversation and talk about it. AHA has done a really wonderful job of creating these guidelines as well as getting them out there. And I think the most important thing is that these guidelines were made by veterinary technicians. So um, I think it's worth naming... Um, the, the group that was involved and as many people that were involved as possible. Unfortunately, the very first name on this list is really um, difficult to pronounce. So uh, <laughs> Natalie Berzikoy, uh, Heather Pendergast, Leslie Boudreau, right. Stephen Sattal, Alyssa Maggies, Jamie Rauscher, um, and then Shannon Thompson and Ken Yagi were all involved on the vet tech side. There were two veterinarians involved, uh, Sharice Roth and Mark Thompson. But I think it's really important to just recognize that these practice utilization guidelines were are for technicians and the whole CSR team, and they're made by the team. 
Yeah, and again, viewfinders, no big surprise to me, and certainly something we've talked about not only here on the podcast, but Becky and I have talked about this, me, for for almost all of my career, is that we lose so many of these amazing individuals because they aren't utilized fully, right? I mean, Becky, we how many times do we have to say this? You're just not using your text to their fullest extent, what's allow, allowed by the laws and regulations and rules of your state. And so I, that was one of the first key takeaways that I saw from the Aha Tech, right? It says, hey, we're we're leaving. Vet techs are saying we're leaving because you're not using us well. It is like one of the number one reasons. It's really interesting because Aha also did these satisfaction studies um, and got a lot of great information on sort of, you know, what keeps somebody in practice and what drives them out. And we've talked about this forever, you and I, in that pay is not the number one driver of job satisfaction. Utilization and team spirit, so to say, kind of in my own words, the ability for the whole team to be uh, um, utilized and for there to be a real team sense is the number one most important. Now, when those things don't exist, money gets driven way up. And so basically what they're saying is you're going to have to pay me to deal with this crap, but I will not be as focused on money if I am full of job satisfaction. And job satisfaction for veterinary technicians is utilization. We went to school to learn our skills. We went to school to learn our knowledge. And appropriately using that is one of the most satisfying things, I think, for most of us out there. Yeah, and, and guys, what I discovered very quickly in my own clinics in the ni- early 1990s was that by utilizing veterinary technicians to their fullest extent allowable, we were more efficient. We were able to do more. We were able to produce more revenue and have better client service and patient outcomes. So guys, I mean, again, the utilization aspect is just good business. I mean, I hate to put it that way, Becky, but I mean, when vet clinics continue to underutilize these credentialed veterinary technicians, they're literally leaving money on the table. Like, like they're wasting their time and money and everything. I, it, it's it's one of those things where you just feel like you're talking into an echo chamber, right? Mm-hmm. Like we've said it forever. The money, like the studies show, it's we're not guessing, we're not, uh, you know, extrapolating. The the studies are there. We know that the bottom line increases when technicians are utilized. Yeah, and in fact, even the AHA study uh, stated some old, some older studies, but you know, again, this just keeps coming back up. And they said that, hey, when techs were utilized and vets weren't doing some other unnecessary, if you will, in this this context, task, that revenue uh, increased by thirty six percent. So again, the, the it, this is plainly apparent to me. I've lived this life, uh, but there were some other key things too. So, uh, so one of the first things that sort of jumped out, and you you really highlighted it as well, Becky, was the fact that there's been a slight subtle shift in some of the terminology that we're using around registered veterinary technicians. Talk to us about that. Yeah. So I've been, I've seen this popping up a lot and um, within this study, you'll see the acronym or the the, uh, letters CRVT. And so there's been a shift to using CRVT to indicate a credentialed veterinary technician to kind of umbrella the CVT, RVT, LVT, RVHT, or what they, RVMT, or whatever the heck they are over right, in Tennessee right. that throws that, <laughs> that hitch in our giddy up. Um, so yeah, it, it, throughout this, they refer to it as CRVT. And I think this is interesting because we have for a long time tried to, um, you know, the nursing initiative kind of came along in terms of creating a unified credential. And AHA has sort of been utilizing 
the CRVT as a way of indicating a credentialed veterinary technician without having to pick one of the three or four acronyms. So pretty interesting. I kind of like it. Yeah. And again, uh, viewfinders, we we are struggling with terminology. You know, I'm not settled that CRVT will be the end all, but but we do need to unite the terminology. I mean, this is this was really part of the whole VN, you know, VNA anyway, the veterinary nursing initiative or whatever you want to call that uh, these days. But the CRVT I thought was really clever and it, it it quite frankly makes my job a little easier, Becky, because I'm always saying CVT, RVT, LVT. <laughs> Yeah, and yeah. of course, there's LVMT and there's RVTG and all that stuff. So I, yeah. I do think we need to. So I think, you know, viewfinders, if you're out there now finding yourself, you know, at a loss for how to describe these people, credentialed veterinary technicians, which is a term we've used, uh, quite frankly, Becky, for a long time here on the podcast to shortcut this. But CRVT, credentialed vet tech, I think that's now getting us to a, a, a better clarity with, you know, who we're talking about. Well, and I think it brings, so the important part that it does is it differentiates the language. And, you know, there's so much pushback. There is no such thing as an unlicensed veterinary technician. You, I hear that so much. And and technically, that's right. not true. There are multiple states that don't have language that surround veterinary church technician or protect that title. And so, therefore, it is kind of used willy-nilly in that sense, and it doesn't hold the same. By using the title credentialed veterinary technician, we're distinguishing that the individual we're talking about is credentialed is in a state that recognizes credentials and has an education behind the skills that they're performing. I think that that language is really important to use whenever we're talking about veterinary technicians in general. So in in Ontario, when the Ontario Vet Tech Association was um, moving legislatively to being self-managed, they had a huge campaign. You will never hear the term veterinary technician used in Canada, especially Ontario. They will always say registered veterinary technician. They always put that qualifier in the beginning. And so I think for us here in the States, because we do have the confusion of the various titles, it is so important to say credentialed. And that really is emphasizing the difference. And I love that language use. And I would say for our listeners, you know, uh, to, to try to bring the mental awareness, if you're ever saying the word vet tech, try really hard to use credentialed in front of it to differentiate and to clarify and to support that credentialed role, which is exactly what they're doing here. Rather than just saying vet tech, they're, they've made an acronym that works that makes it easy to include and consumable. Right. And again, you know, language counts. We know this This matters. This is why nursing kind of set off a lot of controversy uh, and, and and really, I would say, push back at a regulatory level. So, you know, again, language just count. We need to sort of start to unify. And I think this is good. The other thing, too, Becky, I mean, let's let's be clear. The reason that these guidelines are coming out right now not, isn't just because of Vet Tech Week. It's because of this looming veterinary workforce shortage. Right, Becky? So, if we continue to lose people like your many of our listeners and you go and do something completely different, then we can't keep up with these demands. We make the shortage worse. So again, I think at the at the really foundation of this, Becky, for me, this is about how do we preserve our future? Because if we keep losing you guys at the rate we're losing, then we're never going to catch up. Well, it, yes. And what you'll see is this kind of mass, we've already seen it, movement toward the industry partners that are changing that. And so we see Veg and Bond Vet and, you know, some of these um, these groups that are sort of changing how technicians are paid, utilized, and recognized. 
and it's drawing a lot of attention and it's drawing a lot of professionals. And so, you know, like in North Carolina, there's a huge percentage of our technicians who work at NC State University. They've got good pay. They've got good benefits. They're utilized. That's where they go and that's where they stay. So it becomes harder in Raleigh to find a credentialed veterinary technician when all of them are at NC State. And this is what's happening as I think as a lot of these clinics pop up all over the country that are sort of, you know, attracting tons of members of our profession with good pay, good benefits, but most importantly, utilization. And I mean, this is like a, a trifecta of perfection. And a lot of these folks that are working at these places are saying, this is my unicorn clinic. This is my unicorn, unicorn job. I love it so much because I'm utilized and I'm appreciated and I'm paid for it. So it's going to, not just the shortage is affecting people, but the opportunity to go somewhere that's going to do those things is going to make it even harder. I think even if there were enough technicians, um, I think if there were enough credentialed technicians, that it would still be difficult to find and keep them if you're competing with practices that are utilizing and, and taking care of them. Oh, yeah. And, and viewfinders, be clear, as we've said repeatedly on the podcast over the years, the big corporations are paying attention to this, right? And Becky already gave you a little quick laundry list of corp corporations or corporate types of practices that are leaning into this. And they are actually, I think, doing the right thing in many regards to this. Uh, and so I think that for you, if you're out there working in an independent practice, or if you're a veterinarian or a practice manager who listens to the podcast, you should take note and say, okay, this is a big deal. What are these guidelines actually saying? Because whatever they're saying, let me tell you, Becky, the corporates are paying attention. Yes. And the credential technicians are paying attention. Right. Right. And, right, and right. That's the, you know, really important part is I feel like it used to be a matter of nobody was really doing it right. So it didn't matter where you landed because it was pretty much all the same. And that is changing and it's changing so quickly. So there are places to go where you can be utilized. There are places to go where you will be happier and people are migrating to them. Um, and then additionally, there are other opportunities popping up that say like telehealth, for example, where it's like, well, if I'm not going to be utilized then I might as well stay home and work from home and raise my kids and be with my family and still get to be a technician and still get to do medicine, but in a way that my, my knowledge is utilized. Um, so as long as there's going to continue to be alternatives, it's going to be harder and harder to become the outlier and not do those things. Yeah. And again, you know, this is where you can also invest. And Becky, I'm going to be a strong proponent once again. I think that if you have that outstanding individual in your clinic who is not a credentialed veterinary technician, but they want to be, there are so many online virtual courses now. Sorry, Becky, but you know, I love this because we use this in this pathway when it first started, you know, 20 years ago. And, and I'll tell you, you reward them, that investment that you make in these people, Becky, it just paid back just so many times. I mean, this was just exponential return on the, those little investments. And so again, if you now have that person who's already taken the trouble, go, gone to school, gotten credentialed, and now they're working for you, you still need to continue to invest in their continuing education. Because again, Becky, these this is smart money, right? This is where you put your money. That's a no-brainer. Like, <laughs> it, to me, I think you get to do more of what you like to do when you're delegating out the things that you don't have time for. And, and you're also... You know, I hate to say it, but like th these, these guidelines really outline sort of lanes and they give this breakdown of, of a chart of who should be used in, in what positions, what roles and how. And, you know, veterinarians are not out there checking people out. They're not taking people's money. They're not making appointments. Um, so 
if it's easy to get out of that lane, why is it so hard to get out of a credential technician's lane? Yeah. And and again, you know, I think, as I used to say, the biggest obstacle to this is vets just don't trust support staff. And this is why I always said train to trust, because honestly, those training systems, even if you're a credentialed vet tech coming into to one of our clinics, I mean, we're still going to train you just like we do vets, right? Because we want to make sure that everybody's on the same page, yada, yada, yada. But you've got to really overcome that, right? You've got to say, I do trust these people. And so for me, that was part of just going through some basic phase training, right? So to make sure that you're, you're skilled and knowledge base were where we expected them and needed them to be. And then, of course, once I trusted you and trained you, <laughs> Becky, you're off on your own. I think that, you know, this is this is a cultural issue. And I think, you know, Becky, I was so disappointed, and I hate to bring this up once again, but, you know, at the AVMA meeting a couple of years ago when a veterinarian, you know, made some really disparaging comments about vet techs in general, uh, you know, there still seems to be this sort of, um, I, I guess we are insecure as a profession, like the veterinary profession, insecure with like allowing you guys to sort of rise and, and, and really you know, stand beside us. You, you see what I'm getting at, Becky? I mean, I do feel like somehow the vet, the me, the veterinarian is still a barrier for you, the vet tech. No, absolutely. Kind of the barrier, right? Like it's not just a barrier. Um, if you have a veterinarian who won't let you practice at your potential, then, you, you know, that is the barrier. Now, it's such an interesting thing. And I think part of it becomes is part of the issue with our profession and our language. When you have a lot of folks who come in and say, I'm a veterinary technician, and that includes so many veterinarians. I've met so many right. veterinarians oh, yeah. who tell me that yeah. they worked as a technician before yep. they went to vet school and they worked as assistants. Bugs um, me, bugs me, bugs me. Yep. <laughs> bugs me too. So, I mean, it to me, it's like the language in general is the problem. I keep saying we are a profession not a position. So if you think of it as I worked as a vet tech, you're thinking about it as a position. It's not, if you are a vet tech, you are a credentialed veterinary technician, then that is who you are regardless of where you go. And so I think the problem is with historically, there are a lot of on-the-job trained folks who are working as assistants who have been called or put into the role of a technician. And so veterinarians have had to decide what skills they do have, what knowledge they do have. There's that now is the responsibility of veterinarians to understand there are like, I forget, I should know this. I think it's like 304 um, skills on this CDTEA skills list that are required for veterinary technicians to perform or know for them to graduate. So if, I think the, I think very few veterinarians could even start to like rattle off or know the extent of what a veterinary technician has learned in school. And I also think it's worth mentioning and kind of ironic that so many veterinarians are taught by veterinary technicians throughout their education. Good point. And then somehow once they graduate, and, and, and I shouldn't say somehow, it's really discrediting, right? It's your insurance. It's ultimately your patient. You have ultimate responsibility. We have a crappy shame culture in our profession that says if anything goes wrong, it's on you and we can't be forgiving and kind about it. And so it becomes a forced responsibility, a forced oversight, a forced lack of trust. Um, and, and, and it's understandable. However, it, it's like you, like you said, trained to trust. It's like, it should be perfectly clear and it should be very well established who does what. And it's not a matter of trust. It's a matter of protocol because this is the standard for this profession. And then if the skills are not up to par, we can address that. 
but it's, it's, it's recognizing this profession and not this role that they think we play within it. Yeah. And, and again, the biggest pushback they also hear from vets, uh, Becky about underutilization is they go, well, it's my license on the line, right? So okay. they do, they do throw that back. And and I will say that there, there probably does need to be some legal changes, right? I mean, I think that we can start to maybe distribute liability a little bit more broadly throughout a team. And I think that that is part of the risk, right? Of, of promoting CRVTs, right? I, I mean, that is just part of the, but it's a normal part of it. It's a healthy part of it. I mean, nurses are also in the same situation when they work with physicians or within a hospital. So again, I that that's not a legitimate concern on in my mind, right, Becky? I mean, it's just like that's one of those things that's easy to throw out there and easy to shut down conversations. But when you look into a little further, you go, wait a second, probably I'm am covered. I do have some liability insurance that would cover this. And honestly, at the end of the day, um, is is how you train them and how you treat them. I think that's what really makes the biggest difference. Becky, I do want to point out one other thing too that you you touched on a second ago, and I think that there's also because vets have maybe only or primarily worked with non-credentialed veterinary technicians, they have this misbelief, misperception of what you are really capable of. You know what I'm saying? Like uh, an on-the-job trained person will never or rarely have the depth of knowledge and experience that you have had as Becky Mosser going through a, a credentialed vet tech program. You see what I'm saying? So sometimes they're thinking, oh, well, that's what they're capable of doing, having never really experienced the richness of a, of a veterinary technician education. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's kind of exactly what I was saying is, you know, they've worked with so many on-the-job training, they just haven't been able to... Um, understand the profession to understand that this is a role we have the, the this is the knowledge that we have and it is very baseline um and i think it's just important to help veterinarians better understand but also protocols within the clinic and, and again yeah it is quote unquote my license on the line i i get that but i'm also like is that your fear of any kind of mistake happening ever Right. Because is your license really on the line? Like if an error, medical error happens, I have never heard of any veterinarian losing their veterinary license over a medical error within a clinic that was not blatant, that was not um, overt negligence. If appropriate measures are taken, and that includes utilization, I think you're more at risk when you are handing yes. anything off to someone who has not right. been trained and is That's... not credentialed. Um, so I think it's kind of an excuse. I think it's an excuse right. for fear. It's an excuse for being uncomfortable with vulnerability. It's an excuse for having um, the disease of perfectionism. And it is not truly rooted in quote unquote, it's my license. Yeah. What yeah. it really is, is it's my ability, my inability to be imperfect. It's my inability to delegate and to trust and my own issues um, that surround that. I yeah. really don't believe that anybody's license is legally threatened when something goes wrong that was not overtly negligent. Yeah. And, like and using again, someone who's not qualified. <laughs> right, right. I think you're much greater risk for using someone that that has no formal education. And so I love that conversation because again, you know, Becky, this is these are those excuses that the profession keeps throwing back over and over and over and over again. The other thing too, once again, I'll just repeat, it's a professional insecurity issue by and large. I mean, you know, when I hear these people, especially my people, vet, vet, veterinarians, uh, especially in organized medicine like the AVMA, it's a scarcity mindset. 
right? I mean, they're fixed in their thinking to say, gosh, you know, it's only this way, or there's only so much of this. And and literally, it's like, I mean, I, and I've had vets say this, you know, well, the next thing you know, they're going to want to do surgeries. It's like, well, maybe some surgeries they could do. You know, that's how my mind, if you've got an abundance mindset, if you've got this belief that we can grow the profession by utilizing credential vet techs, then those arguments are like, what? I don't get it. You know, it's, it's, it's incomprehensible. But yet if you're coming from a scarcity fixed mindset, you're going, oh, wow, that's a threat, right? Becky, and that just, that breaks my heart. Yeah. And, and, and again, it's our shame culture. It's, it goes really deep. It's not... Um, as superficial as it might sound, and it's understandable, but like again, it comes from the, you know, I don't know, the the frustrations or the the vulnerability of something going wrong, and we just don't have, um, the the being comfortable with medical mistakes. We don't have the, you know, I I think when we look at the numbers in human medicine, uh, they are apparently very comfortable with medical mistakes. <laughs> well, well and, yeah, I know what you mean. You know, I mean, right. I say that they yeah. aren't, but they, but it, it is. And at no point in time are doctors out there saying, well, I'm so scared of medical mistakes and it's my license that I'm not going to let a registered nurse do right. her job. Right. Of so, course or I should say their job and not be gender appropriating. But so again, it, it is, it is internal. It is, it has everything to do with that doctor or that practice or that culture. Um, and and if you have it, you know, the other thing about it is, is I think that we have this different expectation of technicians in the sense of, you know, when a veterinarian comes out of vet school, they're given a year to get their skills, their timing, their energy, you know, they're given time to Good get point. up the par. We expect veterinary technicians to graduate and then hit the ground running and hit the ground running in all aspects of medicine. You know, and then with the exception of our VTSs, they're supposed to be great at everything. Now, I know plenty of veterinarians who are like, I don't do surgery. Like right. when I go on a job interview, I tell my potential employer, like, I don't do surgery. So if you need a vet who's going to be great at surgery, I'm not your one. Uh, then we have other yeah. folks who get into shelter medicine who can do a spay neuter in eight seconds and they hate clients <laughs> and they don't ever want to talk to one. Right. So they find the area of medicine that they're great at. We don't allow veterinary technicians that same leeway. And so we kind of force them into doing things that they're not good at or that they don't enjoy because it's quote unquote fair across the clinic. And so... I think we get into this area of problem that can be problematic as well, because how could we expect a technician to be strong across the board at everything that they do? So you're going to be great at anesthesia and parasitology and positioning for radiology and working rooms and dentistry and, 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 right, right. as opposed to where we have these veterinarians and we're like, oh, this guy's our go-to for internal med. This guy's our go-to for interpreting pathology, but they, they're not expected to be this ubiquitous um, knowledge center. And I think our expectations of our credentialed veterinary technicians, uh, it needs to be increased in some sense, but also understood that they don't have to be as universal and perfect as I think we kind of impose on them. Yeah, I love that. And and again, I'm just so glad we're able to have this conversation. And I really am appreciative of AHA for putting these guidelines out. I did have one minor quibble criticism, though, Becky. Should I share it out loud? I mean, you can always edit it out. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> the only thing I didn't like was there was a mascot. There was this cartoon dog called Andy, and and it says the official mascot of the AHA Vet Tech Guidelines, Utilization Guidelines. And Becky, I ha I have never seen a quote unquote mascot, a cartoon figure with any of the other guidelines. And so my only 
question, possible concern would be like, you know, it kind of made your guidelines seem a little different. And I would argue perhaps just a smidgen less professional. I don't, I don't get why, why, Becky, do you have any idea why they made a dog wearing a scrub cap, holding a stethoscope and a pen in its mouth as a mascot? What was the need? I'm not I, so I can't speak to that entirely. I think that the artist uh, Lily Chin is um, pretty popular artist, and she's done a lot of um, cat language and um, yeah, I got that. She, she did the cat language and interactive cat play um, posters. So she's got some history in creating cartoony type characters around yep. the veterinary space as it is. And so I think maybe it was something to that effect to, um, I don't know. And and I get what you're saying because it's all very cartoon, but I, I, I think it kind of makes it a little bit more consumable and quote unquote fun. Oh, yeah. But I get what you're saying about it not being quite as serious. I don't know the mentality behind it. I can't decide if I if I feel good or bad about it. Um, I just know that it's um it's very cute and yes. uh yeah I don't I don't know anything about that but it, I I'm just noticing it and looking at Indy now he's quite lovely or they're quite lovely there's no real uh, it's a very uh, yeah I, I love it uh, I think it's what, cute you know, it's what do you call it um what is the word I'm trying to think of when they not it's um unisex title yeah so, okay yeah. yeah i don't know indy he's cute i got it gender neutral but again gender just neutral. you know all the other aha guidelines there's never been a mascot and maybe moving forward everybody will have a mascot but you know i think it'd be kind of tricky to have it, uh, an oncology guidelines with a mascot so you know what i'm getting at it's just again viewfinders i'd like to hear your opinion on indy did these guidelines need a mascot this will probably be the only thing people will remember on the podcast is no. dr ward didn't like the mascot but i'm just curious why this was put on here uh, again it doesn't take anything away but again you know it does distinguish this particular guideline from all the other amazing guidelines and i've been a, an, an author of, of guidelines for aha uh-huh. so you know I'm, I'm very very appreciative of it but anyway just becky just throwing it out there <laughs> yeah i don't know what to do with that uh we'll see <laughs> what the future holds if we get more i, I like i i kind of feel like it's a setup for there to be cute stuffed animals in the future uh, maybe hashtags. So who knows where they're who going knows? with indie, but I'm not against it. Well, hey, if you're out there and you know, let us know because I'd like to hear that. And how can they let us know, Becky, what's going on? <laughs> you guys, you know where to find us over on on Facebook and Instagram at Veterinary Viewfinder. You can shoot us an email at veterinaryviewfinder at gmail.com. And please do not bother with whatever Twitter is now called. <laughs> I'm not even looking at it at all. There's no, so, there's no talking to us over there. No talking to us over there. Well, Becky, I hope you enjoy uh, Hive as much as it, it sounds like it's going to be a great thing. And uh, I mean, you're, you've got some amazing uh, programs out there. So again, thank you. I know it's a long travel, uh, but how's the weather out there in Texas? Oh, it's, it's beautiful in Texas in October. Uh, it's, and it's, it's Vet Tech Week. And, you know, no matter what they say, you bring the weather. So we're here to make it a great time and uh, a great event and to really celebrate technicians this week. So if you're listening to this, it's already Wednesday. Hopefully you have uh, celebrated your credentialed veterinary technicians in practice. And if not, make sure you get to that before the end of the week. That's right, guys. Stay safe. Celebrate veterinary technicians. Definitely check out the AHA Veterinary Technician Utilization Guidelines. We will have links in the show notes. Becky, safe travels. We will talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.